Started. We are few, but we are proud. Fight for football. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, we're going to sing a song that may be new to you, but is theologically rich, and I'll turn up the song really loud so we won't embarrass ourselves. <laughs> and hopefully that'll make up for it. But it's A Debtor to Mercy. It's a great song. So. salvation, but we become acknowledging 
the perfect sacrifice of your Son, and we come giving thanks. We come humbly and contritely, offering our, our confession of unworthiness and our praise of your perfect love. So, Lord, we pray that as we uh, take time to study your word together, that it will be uh, it will be fruitful, that it will have its effect in our lives, and that it will result in a greater desire to worship you, because you alone are worthy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, today we are going to be talking about our third strategy, and that is prayer. Um, you know, prayer is one of the most essential parts of the Christian life. I think it's maybe one of the most important ways that we can take time to worship uh, God. And at Redeemer, we want to be a praying church. We, we want to be serious about prayer. We we want it to have central place in our in our service, our Sunday morning services. We want it to be a part of our community groups. We want to make sure that as we're meeting, um, either formally or informally, for discipleship, for accountability, for fellowship, that, that we're making sure that we're praying for one another. Uh, we want to. We hope to have a regular time in which we gather together just to pray. Whether that be a separate prayer service or how that works out, we don't exactly know how we can do that yet, or how we should do that yet, but we definitely want to make prayer a priority. We also hope to have a prayer team that organizes this meeting, um, coordinates prayer walks that we can go on just throughout the community to be praying for folks. And we also want them to be um, you know, like having one person who's just in the background praying during the service times so that the Spirit might be at work through the preaching of God's Word. We, we want prayer to, uh, to be central to what we're doing. Um, because it's so vital to the Christian life. I mean, we can't we can't grow spiritually if we're not growing in prayer. You know, as much as it's it's great for us to to grow in our knowledge of God, in our study of God, we need to be those who who pursue a knowledge of God through the Word. We also have to pursue God through prayer. And many argue, and I think rightly, that that knowledge of God comes through prayer of God's Word. Um, which I'll recommend a few resources later on for that. So we wanted to make it one of our strategies, one of, one of the five P's that, that Redeemer is all about. Um, and it's important to talk about what prayer is because it's one of the most misused or unused or misunderstood areas of the Christian life. I did a Google search yesterday, or no, an Amazon search for books on prayer, and there were like 5,000 books that came up. The bulk of those are junk. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. You know, many of us we, we either fail to pray or we pray out of some sort of obligation to try to please God, or we treat it as some means to get what we want. Like like God is some some sort of Santa Claus in the sky or some divine grandfather that if we go we sit on his lap and just acknowledge him, he'll give us what we want. Or we treat it as we can as though prayer is a means of bending God's will so that he is then constrained or obligated to give us what we demand. And that's just not glorifying to God. So we can indeed pray wrongly. And when we do pray wrongly, our prayers are offensive to God. And that's part of what we're going to argue here today. Um, but the passage that we're going to look at gives us a promise that God delights in the prayer of the upright. And we want that. We want... We want the Lord to be delighted in our prayers. And so we obviously want to be seen as upright in His eyes. So the passage we're going to look at is Proverbs 15.8. I recommend you just go ahead and turn there. Just kind of keep your finger on it because we'll be flipping around and I won't always have it on the screen. So Proverbs 15.8. Would someone uh, be willing to read that? Now, obviously, we're drawn right away to the prayer of the upright is his delight. But before we can really examine that, we need to look at the first half. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. And the first point 
is this, that prayer can actually be detestable to God. So, let me just ask a question right there from our passage. What does it mean to be wicked? says that wickedness is an abomination. An abomination, something that's an abominable is something that's detestable, something that's offensive, something that is displeasing. So it's it's anything that that is displeasing to God. Um, And God hates wickedness. So to do wickedness is to do what God hates. Another way we might say you examine wickedness, I don't know if you remember the account in Genesis 6-5, which is uh, the account of Noah. Um, It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So here, there's this association of wickedness. Um, Their wickedness was great because every intention of their heart was on evil. So there's, there's this tie between wickedness and the attention of the heart. They were acting on evil impulses or desires. Um, and these desires of the heart were actually what made them wicked. <clears throat> so let me ask this question, sort of related to it. What is evil? small groups, everybody's going to have to kind of chime in. <laughs> Those things that God said are detestable? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, would be, that would be true. Yeah. Those who purposely try to twist the words of God or but yeah. I would say anything that's not of God is evil. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good definition. It's that which ought not to be. It's evil is a perversion of good. And because God is good, you know, it's anything that goes against God's nature, God's character, or what God professes to be good. I mean, the root of of the word evil actually means to spoil or to break to pieces. It's this idea of, of being broken or made worthless. Um, so it's essentially what is unpleasant, what is disagreeable, what is offensive to God, who is the moral standard. Again, it's anything that's contrary to God. Um, you know, and we, when we think about evil, I think it's easy for us to think about the big sins. Well, genocide is evil. <clears throat> Rape is evil. Yeah, murder is evil. But the reality is, anything that is displeasing to God is evil. Sin, however slight we consider it to be, is evil. Because to do sin is to do what displeases God. So the wickedness, again, the expression of, of evil intentions of the heart, um, the reality is every one of us can fit into that category. Because every act of sin is an act of unbelief. It's, a, it's really an act of rebellion against God and His perfect nature. It's wicked. It's evil. And that can be us. So, in the passage, <clears throat> what are the wicked doing here? They're sacrificing. They're sacrificing, yep. Do you think that when the when Solomon is referring to the wicked here, that he is talking about pagan Gentiles who are sacrificing to false gods, or is he talking about 
sinful Israelites who were offering sacrifice to God according to the law? I'd say probably the second is most likely dealing with actually the people of God, the Israelites at that time. So we're, we're doing all the right things mm-hmm. on the outward appearance, perhaps even. Yeah. In regard to sacrifice. Yeah. That's what I'm going to argue. I mean, it, it's obvious that sacrifice to pagan gods is, is abominable. It's, you know, it's detestable to God. But here, I do think that he is speaking to the people of God in reference to the sacrifices that they are given. <clears throat> and so we'll look, we're going to look at some different passages through Proverbs, and I'll have them up on the screen for us to look at. Um, the first one is Proverbs 15.29. It says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but hears the prayer of the righteous. So God hears the prayer of the righteous, but is far from the wicked, because they pray with evil hearts. But we need to be clear that they're praying to Him. Um being far from and hearing prayers in this this passage is antithetical. They're equivalent opposites. Um, so we can read this verse like this: The Lord is far from the wicked and does not hear the prayer their prayers, but He is near to and hears the prayers of the righteous. Proverbs twenty one three, another passage: To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So here he's saying, you know, uh, worship is not righteous unless it comes with a heart that acts according to righteousness and justice. Um, so worship is accompanied by righteous deeds, that which God had, of course, commanded them to perform. But again, the focus is on the heart. <clears throat> Proverbs 21:27. Um, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. That sounds familiar. Um, how much more? when he brings it with evil intent. So here these people are worshiping God while recognizing that their heart is evil. They're, they're worshiping under a false pretense of piety. They know they're not right with God, but yet they come and they offer it anyway. In Proverbs 8-9, if one turns um, away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. And in this case, hearing the law equals doing the law. So refusing to obey it makes makes his prayer offensive. And then you know, Solomon says elsewhere. Um, one example is Ephesians 5.1. Ephesians. Ecclesiastes 5.1. Guard your steps when you go out of the house of God. Draw near to, listen, is better than to offer sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. So here... The people are clearly going into the house of God. I mean, that's, that's evident from the text. And it says they are to listen so that they might do the will of God, not just perform a ritual in order to attempt to buy God. Um, the sacrifice of fools is evil in the eyes of God. So, you know, to come neglecting, uh, neglecting our own hearts and just coming to perform some sort of ceremony, it's... It's considered evil. You know, the prophets, again, I mean, they're full of examples of judgment against Judah and against Israel because these people performed acts of worship while their, uh, while their hearts were full of wickedness. Um, Isaiah you know, 1 was the example that I had there. Um, in this passage, the people are condemned despite continually offering sacrifices and prayers to God because... Their hearts, in their hearts, they continue to rebel against him. So all the while, they're they're performing these religious ceremonies. They're praying. They're, you know, they're doing all the stuff, but they're in the, in their hearts, they're rebelling against him. You know, the words of Jesus. I'm sure that you all could remember different passages which Jesus condemns the Pharisees in particular because of their false piety, because of whitewashed tombs. He, he quotes uh, Hosea against them, that I deserve, or I desire mercy, not sacrifices. I mean, the list could go on and on. I'm sure you guys could think of, of those as well. But essentially, the point is, is that this proverb is speaking to those who profess to be people of God. This can apply to us. Um, 
they offer sacrifices, yet he sees their worship as an abomination. Um, and this should be a warning to all of us that our prayers, our sacrifice, can indeed be detestable to God. If we might worship him with our lips, but if our hearts are far from him, woe us. Um, any questions or thoughts about that first point?
proven yourself time and time again to be trustworthy. Um, and in prayer, we actually do the same things that, that we would do in a sacrifice. You know, there's we we offer praise and acknowledgement to God. We you know this you remember the whole Acts acronym for prayer, right? Adoration, confession. confess and repent our sins to God. Um, it's a time to give thanks and a time to you know, offer supplication, offer prayers up for ourselves and for others. So again, these are all the same things that the sacrifices were intended for. Um, <clears throat> but what the proverb contrasts, actually, I'll, what it what the proverb contrasts is the nature of one's heart and God's disposition towards their hearts. So this is this is an antithetical parallelism parallelism if you want to know the proper hermeneutic. What it says is the first part, A, is the exact same. So sacrifice and prayer. I tried to line them up there so you can see. Sacrifice and prayer are the same. What are opposites are B, wicked and upright, and C abomination and delight. So, my point is this. Sacrifice and prayer are equivalent expressions of worship to God. <clears throat> Any thoughts on that before we move ahead? None? Good. So our third point. Uh, prayer can obviously be God's delight. I mean, that's clear from the text. The prayer of the upright is his delight. Um, again, sort of an obvious question, but it's worth asking. What? Why is one pleasing to God and the other offensive? From the text. It's not selfish. It's not selfish. To give up to him, to offer him thanks for what he's done. It's direct communication with them. And when it's done in the right way, it's obviously not wicked for you. Any other thoughts on that? God's delights. You said, why is it not if it's. Why, why is one, either prayer or sacrifice, pleasing, and the other offensive? What's the difference? Because it's out of the overflow of our hearts. That's exactly right. The you difference. Know, our prayer, state. our worship, our works, our words, they all are out of the overflow of our hearts. That's terrifying to think about it. But it's, uh, it's true. Yeah. In this case, one is one heart is wicked, the other heart is upright in God's eyes. Um, and so, here we see that an act that is good in and of itself can become displeasing to God when it's done with the wrong heart. So, Again, our, our outward acts of worship, I mean, they might appear pious to one another. We might see those things and be like, oh, look at him. You know, he's praying. He's faithful. But with God, it's clear because God looks upon the heart. Um, to God, the beauty, the beauty of the act is not in just the outworking, but because it is an overflow of that inward beauty. Because it comes from the right heart. And, and the ugliness of an act comes from the ugliness that's within. Um, so yeah, uh, even when our heart's not right, then even our acts of piety then become an abomination. Uh, and this, this is why we need faith. If our worship is to be pleasing to Him. Um, just like the song we sang, you know, one of the lyrics was, I come with His righteousness on a humble offering to bring. If we don't have faith in Christ, then all our acts of worship, all our righteous deeds are as filthy rags, right? Um, Romans 4, 14.23 says, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we cannot please God apart from our hope and trust in Him. And then um, Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, in Christ, it is impossible to please God. Um, and then, Keith, you actually mentioned this earlier, that our worship is only pleasing to God if He alone receives glory. It makes me think of uh, 
the, in the Beatitudes, or in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ condemns those who give the long, pious-sounding prayers before the crowds, you know, to gain the approval of people. And they may seem really pious to us because, oh, listen to their eloquence and, you know, their, their seeming disposition to God, but God is not fooled by that. God is honored more in our, even in that case, he says more in our quiet prayers, our prayers that are are done in the closet so that no one sees. Because really the matter is we're not praying in order to look pious in someone else's eyes to look like we're the super Christian, but but because you know our heart is is to give thanks, to give glory to God. <clears throat> and again, this is why Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. They weren't trusting in God. They're trusting in and their acts of piety, and their religious fervor, and the fact that they could uphold the law. That's what they were trusting in. Um, so God is not glorified in our self-exaltation, in our efforts to obey him, but rather in our trusting that he will do as he has promised, uh, in our serving with the strength that he supplies, in doing everything in the name of Christ, thus giving all glory to God. And that's just, the, I've just slammed you with a bunch of scripture that you don't even know. <laughs> But, uh, so, um, what then does it mean to be upright? Walking in his way, or being his, I may have a few words today, um, being his, That's that's exceptionally you're walking in being in the ways of God, yeah. Being in his will. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Whatever it is out of faith is sin, so it'd be something living with faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the text we see that you know, to be upright we have to do what is what delights him, what is pleasing to him, right? It's right there. Um, and clearly, also from the text, it's the opposite of being wicked to do what displeases God or is detestable in his sight. Um, and then, of course, you said you're doing everything by faith, which is absolutely true. So does being upright mean that we have to be perfect? That's right. No. <laughs> We're going to um, flip over to Proverbs 30, or Proverbs, Psalms, Psalms 32. Now this psalm was a psalm that David wrote after he had committed the sin, his sin of, of murdering Uriah, his adultery with Bathsheba, and this is his response to after he had had repented of his sin. And look there in verse one. It says, "Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven." whose sin is covered. I mean, clearly it shows that he's speaking of forgiven sinners, not perfect people. Your sins can't, your transgressions can't be forgiven if you haven't sinned, right? So he's not speaking of perfection. And then look down at, at verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but, the, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In verse 10, he contrasts the wicked with those who trust in the Lord. So, the opposite of wickedness are those who trust in the Lord. And then he gives further description in 11. And I tried to make this abundantly clear in the PowerPoint there by italicizing bold, you know, making it bold and underlining that the one who trusts in the Lord are righteous and upright in heart. So those are all all the same. So the upright then are, are not sinless people, but those who repent and trust in God. Isaiah 66, 2 tells us that, um, but this is the one on whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So God looks on the humble and contrite. Those are the, 
or repentant people, humble and repentant people, and who, um, and he hears those, again, who tremble at God's word. So those who are upright, trust in God, they are humble and repentant, and they tremble at his word. That's what it means to be upright. What was the passage in Isaiah? Isaiah 66.2. So, um, so why does God delight in the prayers of the upright? Trust in the Lord, they're humble and repentant, and they tremble at God's word. So, why does God delight in the prayers of the upright? Sure, I'm right with God when we have communion, but other than that, 
I'll just pray because God appreciates that. And not only does it say He won't hear us, He calls it an abomination. I mean, He called sacrificing children to Moloch an abomination. I mean, He talked about burning your own children in fire as an abomination. There's some strong, that's a strong, strong, strong word. We ought to not take that and say, oh, well, He just won't hear us. No, it's not just that He won't hear us. It's we're in rebellion against God if we pray in an un, in a wrong manner. And I think there's some things to meditate upon with that before we come before God. If we come before Him with, you know, a repentant soul and faith and an upright heart, and, um, to steal your stuff, but also to come before God with uh, added repentance, of contriteness, of humility. This is an awesome opportunity we have, and we ought not take it for granted. Yeah, definitely. Does this change at all the way you think of the ACTS acronym of prayer? I never Adoration, heard the way you did. confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Oh, yeah. What do you mean, does it change Well, you know, when I originally saw that, I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice. You know, those are kind of good habits to... We want to make sure that we adore God when we pray, and yeah, it's, it's important to confess our sin and and you know to give Him thanks. And, but really, I mean, how often do we treat prayers like it's all supplication? So God, I want this. I want this. I want this. This would, would you make this happen? Would you would you change you know your will to bend to my will? Would you you know, do this or do that? Or you know. Or we have sort of a high, uh, a high view of God, and we're like, okay, you know, God's will, His plan, His purpose, it's there. So, my praying to God's not going to change anything. So I'm just not going to pray. Or we pray out of self-reliance, just kind of like a means of, of self-motivation. You know, I'm going to. Think by myself, and then I'm gonna end up going out and doing those things. I'm not really trusting in God. Visualization. Yeah, visualization, exactly. Or, um, or we pray because we're supposed to. This is our the form of worship that we're supposed to perform. I mean, Piper's quote there. I mean, it's, it's great. Um, the prayer is meant to. You know, we come in dependence upon it. It teaches us our poverty and the riches of His grace. That uh, we see the wealth of God's glory magnified and our souls satisfied. When we go to God in prayer to see our souls satisfied, that changes something, doesn't it? Um, so how should we view prayer? These are some things I wrote down. Prayer is not a means of getting what we want or something we do out of obligation. It's not an option. It's not something we can choose to do or avoid to do if it's not convenient or if we can handle the circumstances ourselves. But it is a faith-filled expression of our dependence upon and our need for and satisfaction in God. That's prayer. That's a prayer that is pleasing to God. Um, some some recommended resources on prayer. I didn't bring any. Of course, I don't really have any of them now. But... Uh, D.A. Carson wrote a book, A Call to Spiritual Formation, which is a great book. Graham Goldsworthy, Prayer and the Knowledge of God. That's one of those books I told you about where it's like, I mean, his argument is that you need prayer if you're going to truly grow in your understanding of God. Um, J.I. Packer wrote, Prayer, Finding Our Way Through Duty to Delight. So challenging this, praying out of obligation. And then Andrew Murray wrote, With Christ in the School of Prayer. Another good book. Um, this uh, this quote here is from Millard Erickson's Christian Theology, a systematic theology. I just kind of want to cover it really quickly, if we could. Um, it says, "Prayer does not change what God has purposed to do. It is a means by which He accomplishes His end." It is vital, then, that prayer be uttered, for without it, the desired result will not come to pass. This means that prayer is more than self-stimulation. It is not a method of creating a positive mental attitude in ourselves so that we can 
we are able to do what we have asked to have done. Rather, prayer is in large part a matter of creating in ourselves a right attitude with respect to God's will. Prayer is not so much getting God to do our will as it is demonstrating that we are as concerned as is God that His will be done. There are a few things I want to point out there. I mean, first, he says, prayer does not change what God has purposed to do. That should be clear from our understanding of who God is. That God has prepared everything in advance. His will is perfect. He is completely wise. He has set forth to do this. So our prayer is not going to change God's mind. It's not going to bend His will to ours. But then he says this, it is a means by which he accomplishes his end. It's vital then that prayer be uttered, for without it, the desired result will not come to pass. This floors me when you think about this. This is amazing. We see God using means. God uses, as a means of bringing his elect into his kingdom, he uses the means of the gospel. He uses the means of you and I to proclaim that truth so that they might receive it and be part of his God, his elect, though he has chosen them before the foundation of the world. With prayer, God has his will in mind. It's there, it's set, it's done. But it's sort of, he, he incorporates us into his will by, when we offer up our prayer, he, it's like he had designed it perfectly, that it is sort of on hold until we pray. And then through that prayer, he answers it, showing that he is trustworthy, showing that we need to be dependent upon Him, but then incorporating us in His will. I mean, think about that. I mean, just even something simple like, we had been praying that I would find a job, a part-time job where I can meet a lot of people and do all that stuff. So here, God knew from the beginning that He was going to provide me with this job at the Y. But there it was on hold. As we offered up our prayers, then He answers those prayers. We get to be involved in you know, the, the fulfillment of His will. We get to participate in that. I just find that amazing. And this idea that, you know, somehow God's will would not come to pass unless we prayed because He had orchestrated it that way. I mean, I, I just, I feel privileged in that way to pray. So it gives us a sense of urgency. What's that? A sense of urgency? Yeah. Yeah. It just immense privilege. It is... It is a privilege to, to let our requests be made known to God. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But just like we get to participate in the will of God. This is exciting. We should we should have the same attitude when we when we proclaim the gospel. We should have it when we pray. This is not an obligation. This is not something that we just we just kind of do. We throw it up there to God because He wants us to. We're, you know, because we're trying to get what we want. I mean, this is an opportunity for us to be a part of God's will. I get, I get pumped when I think about that. Um, but then He goes on and He talks about, you know, some of the things that we've already talked about too. That the prayer is not so much about self-actualization, this idea of visualization, making it happen, um, but it's, it's fostering within us a right attitude with God's will. That we are wanting to align our will with God's will. You know, our our prayer is a means of renewing our mind. You know, being transformed. You know, having a heart transformation. Being conformed not to the world, but conformed to Christ. Um, and this prayer is not so much getting God, again, to do our will, as it is demonstrating that we are concerned about God's will. We want to see God's will accomplished. So, that's what prayer is. And uh, we've also been left with an example of prayer, haven't we? Maybe the perfect example of prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9-13. This is a model of an upright prayer. It was given by Christ. Christ is perfectly righteous. I think that we're safe to pray along the lines that, that Christ prayed. Um, and this is the prayer, kind of prayer that God is pleased in. Um, and we would do well to incorporate the different elements, the different foci into our prayer life. Not that we would just regurgitate the words, but just the meaning behind it. So what I actually want to do
Well, one, I would encourage you to make it a regular habit when you pray to kind of incorporate these different elements. But I want to just take time for us to pray through the Lord's Prayer together. Um, what time is it, by the way? Ten after. We're doing good. Um, so, so the first section. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is this is adoration. This is recognized. He's saying, God, I, I want to see your name be glorified, to be sanctified, at you, to be acknowledged, professed as what it is, to be honored. I'm, and that's that's adoration. And I think it's good to make that one of the first elements of our prayer. So, um, yeah, we just let's just take time. Um, if someone would be willing to pray in, a, in a, a praiseworthy sort of way, a way to just focus and honor God. Somebody be willing to, to lead us in that? Just kind of have one person take one of these, pray through them. Sound good? Volunteers? Keith? Sure. Thanks. Father God, you come, you come before you, and uh, Lord, first before any of us even want to pray, we want to examine our hearts. Lord, we pray that our that our prayers would be upright and just. Lord, that you forgive us of our sins, that you'd uh, not let these prayers be uh, for show or for anything other than your glory. Lord, we have the, the example of an upright prayer from Jesus, and we're thankful for that. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth is in heaven. Lord, we just, we love you. And it's our desire to see your will done, though, Lord, although we're not always clear what that is, though oftentimes we replace it with our wills. Lord, we just pray that uh, your will would be done. Lord, you're so good to us. You're so... You give us what we don't deserve in your grace, Lord, and you keep from us what we do deserve in your mercy. We're just so thankful for that. We're thankful that you've given us the Holy Spirit that works in our hearts, that's transforming us, that's sanctifying us. Lord, we're just so... so thankful. Lord, we love you. We just... uh, Lord, help our souls be satisfied in you as we come before you in prayer. Lord, and already our souls are satisfied as we come to you. Lord, you feed us like no bread. You feed us like no... You you grant our thirst like no water, Lord. We come before you and we are filled. We are... Our cups runneth over as we... uh, Marvel at who you are, Lord. You're just so great to us. You're so, so glory, glorified, so marvelous, so righteous, so holy, so good to us. We thank you that while we were enemies, while we were sinners, you sent Christ to make us right with you. Lord, you're so, you're so, your your plan's so amazing. Your your will is so unfathomable to us, Lord. We just Marvel at who you are. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Keith. Now, if I can use you for example for a minute, it, it kind of took Keith a little while to get into just adoration, where we're simply acknowledging who God is. You ended very well. But this is one of those, I think, if there's an area where we are weak in prayer, it is right here. In acknowledging who God is. Of just seeking to take time to extol His goodness and His greatness. And it is important for us to have, in order to develop that right heart, to just take time to remember who God is. And that would automatically lead us to confession. 
it did in your prayer. So that's an important one to keep in mind. Uh, the second element, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here I wrote resignation and mission. When I say resignation, it's a resigning of our wills to God's will. It's saying, you know, I recognize, God, that your will is perfect. I recognize that my will is not. And so I desire to lay my life down. I desire to lay my will down to see yours upheld. I want your kingdom to come, and in that, I'm saying, I want my feeble kingdom to be destroyed. My, my earthly kingdom here doesn't really matter. What matters is your kingdom. I want my mission, my goal in life, to be your mission, to see your kingdom come. And so that's why the two, resignation and mission, that it's not our wills, it's God's will, and we want to be participants in that. So would somebody be willing to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
and come to you. I just ask that, um, you know, there's several things that um, the people of your church is looking for right now, one being jobs. I ask that uh, you allow us not to be um, wanting, but willing to wait for the, your right timing and the job that we need, and that uh, you provide for us. That um, it's not just any job, but a job that you give us the opportunity to talk to more people and to be able to show them your love that you pour out on us. Just ask that um, with these jobs that will be coming our way at your timing, that you allow us to be the one that you want us to be and, and give that glory to others that you show pour out on us your grace. Just allow us to uh, be the light that uh, we're supposed to be. And I also ask that you be with pregnancies that we have in our church right now. Phyllis, hers coming to an end here soon. And uh, being blessed with a new child. And Pauline's is about halfway through, or even halfway through. Yeah. Um, just ask that you be with both of those and allow the uh, outcome to be joyous with uh, children that um, we lift up to you that we will uh, show them your way Allow them to be blessed in you. And this is that your name. <clears throat> the next one, uh, and forgive us our debts. This is confession. This is where we take time to reflect on our own hearts and we confess the wickedness, the evil, the sin that we see there. Um, and this is an important element when we pray to set our hearts right before God. And I think that if we spend a lot of time in adoration, the immediate response will be confession. Because when we view God as great, we view ourselves more rightly. That we are truly debtors of mercy. That we do need God's grace every day. And that we, we then view our sin as God views sin. And we want to confess that. We, we grow in our hatred of it. Not just hatred of consequences or the guilt that we feel about it, but we truly hate our sin. So what we're going to do now is just take a minute of silent reflection where we examine our hearts and confess our sins to God. And then I'll just make a general prayer of confession for the church. So let's take a minute to do that. we are sinners and we we know that we have offended you greatly we know that we do not deserve to be able to come to you we do not deserve to have a relationship with you and Lord we pray we pray only by the blood of Christ we pray only through our mediator, Christ, who, who offers to us his righteousness. God, we pray that you would forgive us of our wrongdoing and help us to hate our sin as you do. 
God, we pray that by your grace we might forsake it, we might run to you, to you alone to satisfy our desires. Because you are the best, you are the greatest. You are the, our true soul satisfaction. God, may we um, may we expel the sin in our lives through a greater affection, a lasting affection through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. As we have also forgiven our debtors. And I call this submission. Because I think the point he's getting at is, is how we relate to one another. That uh, it's the second great command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, because we have been forgiven so much, we ought to forgive those of little. Um, and so this is a submission to God's will for our interaction with one another. That, that we would be willing to lay down our lives to follow you know, the law of Christ, that we would be aware of, of the need to reconcile relationships with one another, um, just to live according to the profession that we've made. So, would somebody like to pray for that? This one is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is protection. Protection against just the lies of Satan. The temptation that so easily entangles us. <clears throat> and so, would someone like to close us by praying for protection? Take it.